now. All right. Let's get this stuff on. Welcome, everybody. We are going to be in the book of Luke, chapter 19. Luke, chapter 19. The latest survey shows that 75% of Americans claim to be Christians. It's actually down. A few years ago, it was closer to 85, all the way up to almost 90%. But the latest, a few years back, Gallup did a survey, and they found that 75% of Americans claim to be Christians. That means three out of four people that you come into contact with, that you run into at the bank, at Walmart, wherever it is that life takes you, claim to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. 75% say that they have made some sort of profession of faith. And that sounds good, doesn't it? it? Sounds really good, but the problem is that we know it can't be true. The problem is that we look around at life and we look around at culture and we look around at society and there's just no evidence that this is true. Many claim to be a Christian, but there's no substance behind it. And I believe what has happened is that we live in a, a social media-driven world. And we have equated being a follower of Jesus Christ to being a friend with someone on Facebook or being a follower of someone on Twitter. Now, I don't know about you guys, I've got a Facebook. Who has a Facebook? Most of y'all, look at all those Facebook accounts. Most of us have a Facebook account. I went by and checked mine out recently. I have 1,184 friends. Now, I'm a realist, okay? There are not 1,100 people that even like me, much less want to be my friend. And I know that. And so I, I got on, I was, I was looking at this message, and I was, I was scrolling through Facebook, and I'm seeing all these people. People, why are they my friends? You ever do that? I'm like, I don't even know these people. And most of them, at, at the very best, they would be acquaintances. At the very best, it would be like someone you see in town, you're like, oh, hey, I kind of know you somehow. They're not friends. I mean, we call each other friends. We say, hey, we're friends on Facebook. But the reality is there's nothing to it. There's no substance to it. There's no realness to it. There's no genuine nature behind it. Our Facebook friendship doesn't mean anything. It looks good. It sounds good. Wow, Case, you've got 1,100 friends. I don't have anywhere close to that. It's just not true, and I know it. And then I think of Twitter. I, I, know, I know that most people don't have Twitter like Facebook, but on Twitter what you do is you find someone. Maybe it's a celebrity. Maybe it's a, a news journalist. Maybe it's whoever it is that you like. You find them, and you find this button that says follow. And all you have to do is just click the button that says follow. And once you click the follow button, what happens is every time that person makes a post, every time that person has a thought on what's going on in the world, you get to engage with it. You get to say, that sounds good. Or you get to have some sort of social or some sort of intellectual engagement with it. And so we say, I'm a follower of so-and-so. I'm a follower of this person. And you don't even have to know that person to be a follower. There, there's no relationship. And I think what we've done is we have turned being a follower of Christ to be the same thing as being a follower of Brad Pitt on Facebook or on Twitter. 
It doesn't matter. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't change your life. It doesn't affect you in the least. And I want to tell you, it's not biblical. You say, as long as I've accepted the friendship, as long as I've clicked the follow button. But I want to tell you, that is not enough. We live in a world that people say, as long as I've had some kind of encounter with Jesus, everything's okay. And then you go and you ask them, you say, tell me about your relationship with Christ. And they say, well, I go to church. That doesn't mean you have a relationship with Christ. They say, well, I, I go to a small group. That doesn't mean you have a relationship with Christ. I, I used to give some money. That doesn't mean anything. I try to be a good person. That's the number one answer people give. How do you know you're a Christian? I try to be a good person. There's a lot of good people, and they're going to go straight to hell. A lot of them. So it doesn't mean that you have a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ. Encounters. It's a new series. I feel a little rusty. Been a while since I've been up here. I like it. Glad to be back in it. Encounters. We have encounters every day. Every single day we have encounters with people. We go to the mall, we have encounters. We go to Walmart, we have encounters. We go to our restaurant and the, the waitress or the waiter comes up and we have an encounter. Most encounters never change our life. They never affect us. We have an encounter and we move on and life is the same as it's always been. But every once in a while, we have an encounter that changes us. Every once in a while, there's someone that comes into our life and we're never the same because of it. Think of the first time you met your spouse. It changed your world forever. Think of the first time you saw your, your child or your children. It changed you forever. Think of when you met a, a good friend. It changed your life forever. And so what I want to ask you to do is this. I want to ask you to study to evaluate the encounter that you've had with Jesus. I want to ask you to really look inside and ask yourself the question, how has the encounter that I've had with Jesus Christ changed my life? Because if you get that wrong, if I get that wrong, then I lose everything. If you get that wrong, then you have lost everything in life. Nothing else matters. Your family, all the, the wealth and your possessions, none of that's going to matter if you get the encounter with Jesus Christ wrong. And so we're going to look and we're going to study some folks, and some of them met Jesus, and their life changed forever. Some of them met Jesus, and it made no impact at all. And somewhere in the mix or in between, you will find yourself and I will find myself. So we are in Luke 19. You're probably already there. I wanted to start with this because, just honestly, it's one of my favorite, favorite Bible stories. I love it so much. And I realize that it's a very common story. You know it. And I'm probably not going to say anything new to you tonight. I, I know that. But I want to ask you not to tune out because I believe God can use this scripture. God can use our time and God can challenge us. Because I know he's challenged me in the way that I should be transformed because of the encounter that I have had with Jesus. And so all we're going to do tonight is we're going to just walk through the text. Okay? Luke chapter 19 beginning in verse 1. Luke 19 verse 1. 
begins and it says, he entered Jericho and was passing through. For the first time, for the last time, I'm sorry, the last time in his earthly ministry, Jesus is headed toward Jerusalem, leaving his ministry behind, and he's heading to the cross in just a few days. Travelers would often go from Galilee down to Jerusalem, and here's what they would do. They would, Galilee's way up here, and the journey's about 100 miles from the region of Galilee over to Jerusalem. And so many times they would start out in Galilee, and they would come down the, the west bank of the Jordan River, and they would travel about 80 miles. After they traveled about 80 miles, they would come to the oasis city of Jericho. And so after all that travel, they would come in and they would find some rest. They would get some water. They would find something to eat because they had another 20 miles or so to get to Jerusalem. And the, the, the journey from Jericho to Jerusalem was, was not an easy journey. The elevation would, would rise rapidly. And so it would take another seven or eight hours just to get over to Jerusalem. And so many times as travelers were going from Galilee over to Jerusalem, they would stop by and they would come through Jericho. And so that's what we see that Jesus has done. Jesus is coming in to town. And when someone would come into town, the people would go out. They would show hospitality. They would take out water. They would take out food. They would offer rest. But on this day, it wasn't just anyone coming through town, was it? It was Jesus. Jesus was coming through town, and everybody was thinking about it. Everybody was wondering about it. They had heard about Jesus they had heard that he had healed the sick. They had heard that he had made the deaf to hear. He had made the blind to see. He had made the lame to walk. They had heard about this man up the street named Lazarus, and this man was as good as dead. I mean, he was totally dead. He wasn't asleep. He wasn't just kind of dead. I mean, he was rotten to his flesh because he was dead, and yet Jesus came into town, and Jesus raised him to life. And so word is traveling. There is something special about this man, Jesus. There's something incredible about this man. And he has just come into our little town. Could this man be the Messiah? Could this be the man that we've been waiting for for all of this time? And so the people begin to leave their homes. They begin to drop what they're doing, and they run out, and they try to get close to Jesus. They want to see him. They want to touch him. They want to see what he's doing. Why is he coming through their town on this day? And so everybody is going out to see Jesus. And the crowd is getting larger and larger and larger and larger. And we continue, and it says, And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. A city like this would have many tax collectors, but the Bible tells us that Zacchaeus was the chief tax collector. It's interesting because this is the sixth time that Jesus has encountered a tax collector. And every time it has been a positive experience. Now, here's why that's interesting. To the people of the day, to society, to culture, there was nobody worse than the tax collectors. They were awful. They were the people that you would despise. Some of you know because you don't like taxes today, right? We don't like taxes today. And I want to tell you, it was, it was worse in this day. To have a tax franchise, they would go to Rome and they would buy it. Rome was the enemy. Rome were the ones who were oppressing the Jewish people. 
And so they became a traitor to their own people. And Rome would say you had to, you had to collect so much in taxes, but whatever extra you could take, you could keep for yourself. And so they would go through, and there was this, this formula for corruption. And so Zacchaeus might go, and he might find someone, and he might find someone with a, with a wagon and with a, a couple donkeys pulling the wagon. And he might go up and say, hey, buddy, I've got to get my taxes from you. And so we've got to tax the wagon. We've got to tax two axles. You've got two axles on the wagon. We've got to tax four wheels. You've got four wheels on the wagon. We've got to tax the two donkeys you've got pulling the wagon. We've got to tax the merchandise you have in the wagon. And we've got to tax the merchandise that you've already sold from the wagon. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Kind of like our world, isn't it? And so they would go and they would just begin to, to name these taxes, to make up these taxes. And because of that, they would become just incredibly wealthy. They would steal from their own people. They would take from their own people and they would put it in their pockets and they would grow their wealth and grow their wealth and grow their wealth. And the people knew this. And so when they saw the tax collectors, when they saw Zacchaeus, they hated this guy. They didn't want anything to do with this guy. He wasn't on the Christmas card list. This guy was so bad, he was considered unclean. He couldn't come to church tonight. We wouldn't let him in this place tonight. He's got to stay out of here. If you go and you spend some time with him, you're going to be unclean too, and you're going to be out of here. Just the way it works. You couldn't do that. And so when we read in the Bible, what you'll often find is you'll find that Jesus spent time with the tax collectors and the Sinners. That's what it says over and over in the Bible. The tax collectors and the sinners. Now, when it says sinners, we all sin, don't we? It's talking about the big sinners. It's talking about the people that when you see them, you say, man, that's a bad dude right there. You see them and you say, uh-oh, don't want them near me in my life. That, that's who Zacchaeus would be around. And we see that's who Jesus spent time with. The Bible says that they called him a friend of tax collectors and sinners. They even said that Jesus represented Satan because of the people that he hung out with. So we meet Zacchaeus. It's interesting, the name Zacchaeus means innocent, pure, and clean. His mama missed that one, didn't she? <laughs> she had a good intention. It just didn't, it didn't pan out. He was not innocent, he was not pure, and he was not clean, but he was rich. He was at the top of the system. I mean, whatever he wanted, he got it. He wanted the newest donkey, he could buy it. He wanted the best, fastest tablet, he could just go find the rock and, and take it. Whatever he wanted in life, he got it. He was rich, but it wasn't enough for him. The man was left to live with the rest of the scum, and he was not allowed to have any social or religious contact with the rest of the population. Verse 3, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd he could not because he was small in stature. Here's my question. Zacchaeus finds out that Jesus has come into town. Why does he care? I mean, here he is. He has, he has lived his life and he has reached the point that he wanted to reach. He's at the top of this system. He has so much money. He has anything he could want. This is what he has set his life out to be. He wanted to be the man of success. He wanted to be the man of wealth. And that's what he's gotten. 
So why does he care when Jesus comes through his little town? You know why I think he cares? There's still a void in his heart. There's still something missing. His whole life he has said, if I could just get a little bit more, if I could get a little bit more, I know I'm a tax collector now, but if I could just become the chief tax collector, if one day I could be the chief tax collector, then man, I am going to be set up in life and I'm going to be so happy and I'm going to be so content and my life is going to finally make sense and I'm going to have purpose. And he worked and he worked and he worked and one day he got the promotion and he became the chief tax collector. And so for a little while he said, I've done it. I've reached the spot. My life is on track. This is awesome. This is good. But time began to pass, and that void came back. And he said, something is missing. I think he knew that he was alienated from God. He knew that he had no eternal life. He knows that he is guilty and that he is sinful. He knows what kind of man he is. He's got money, but the money is not enough. And it could be that there are some of us in here tonight just like that. There are people all around us just like that. And they believe with all their heart, if I could just have a little bit more, then I would be content. If I could make just a little bit more money, and then they end up making a little bit more money, and it's not enough. If I could just get one more promotion in my life, then I would be, I would be happy. And they get that one more promotion, and it's not enough. If I could just rise to this level of success, then I would be good in life. And they rise to that level of success, and it's not enough. If I could have this type of relationship, if I could excel in this hobby, if I could have this, this, and this. And so we spend our whole life, and we're trying to get this, this, and this, only to find out that it's never enough. It's never enough. Every time we get to the goalpost, the goalpost move further away. And we just can't seem to ever catch it. And I think that's what we see with Zacchaeus. And so he finds out Jesus is coming into town, and he's interested. He wants to get to him, but he has a problem. Verse 3, what is his problem? Problem is, it's a big crowd, and he's a small man. He's a wee little man, right? The problem is that he's a, he's a small fella. And so what he does is, is he's going, he's trying to get through the crowd, but people don't like him. People hate him. They're not saying, hey, little guy, won't you come to the front? They're saying, you're not coming through. And so he's trying to get through. He's going this way. He's going this way. And he can't get through the crowd. He can't get to Jesus. Now, here's what most of us would do at that point. You know what we would do? I tried. I did my best. It must not be meant to be. Well, I hate hearing that, meant to be. Must not be meant to be, so I'm, I'm going home. I'm done. I mean, we do, we do that all the time in life, don't we? If marriage gets tough, all of a sudden we say, well, it wasn't meant to be. I'm done. If our job gets tough, wasn't meant to be. I'm done. If church life gets tough, do you know how many people, you can probably think of them too, they were here at a time and now they're, they're gone. We don't know where they are. It got tough, something got tough in their life, and they just split. They just went home. Zacchaeus could have went home, but he didn't go home. Zacchaeus is determined. 
He must get to Christ. He needs to get to Christ. He's not going to give up until he gets to Christ. And so the Bible says, So he ran on ahead. He climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. Now, here's the deal. In this culture, they were huge on honor. Needed honor, needed respect. They lived for honor. Because of that, a grown man would not just run. It was not an honorable thing. They wore these, not dresses, but these long things. They had to pull them up. They had to show their legs off, pull it up above their knees to run. They just didn't do that much. And then you think of this little man, and he's ahead of the crowd, and he's trying to climb this tree, right? It's not dignified. It's not the way a man would want to be seen. But can I just tell you this? Zacchaeus did not care what people thought about him. He didn't care what he looked like. I mean, he's climbing this tree. He goes out on this branch. He's hanging on to the branch. He looks pretty foolish, I'm sure. You can just imagine. But he doesn't care. He doesn't care what people think about him. He doesn't care about the people that are pointing at him, that are laughing at him. My goodness, if we could be like that. If we could serve the Lord Jesus Christ and not care what other people think about us. You say, why haven't you witnessed this last week, this last month, this last year? You know what the reason is? Because we're so afraid what people are going to think about us. Why don't we live a life on fire for Christ? You know why? Because we're afraid that somebody's going to think we're a little too steep into this stuff. What if we just didn't care what people thought about it? That's what Zacchaeus did. So he ran on ahead. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, Hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Now, if you don't look closely, you'll miss something. Jesus is walking. There's a crowd all around. He's walking down the street. There's a tree, and there's a little man up in this tree. And he gets up to the tree, and he stops. I mean, there's a lot of dignified people. He stops all the dignified people. He looks up in the tree, and what does he say? Zacchaeus. He said his name. He knew his name. Listen, Zacchaeus, as far as society was concerned, he was a nobody. Nobody wanted to say his name. Did you know of anybody that you don't even want to hear their name? Maybe somebody that burned you, somebody you just don't like. You don't want to hear their name. That's Zacchaeus. Nobody even wanted to say his name or hear his name. But Jesus stops and he says, Zacchaeus. It could be tonight that you look at your life and maybe you feel lonely. Maybe you feel like you don't have many friends. Maybe your family doesn't reach out to you like they should. And so it could be that you feel like you're not very important. Can I just remind you that just like Jesus stopped and he looked at Zacchaeus and he called him by name, he had a plan for his life just like that. He looks at you, and he knows your name. He knows the number of hairs on your head. He knows every single thing about you. And he's got a plan for you. He's got a purpose for you. He's not done with you yet. And so he stops. Zacchaeus, hurry and come down. For today, I must stay at your house. Zacchaeus did not run a bed and breakfast, okay? 
It wasn't a hotel chain that he was into right here. Zacchaeus had not had someone want to come to his house for a long, long, long time. But now the king of kings is coming over for a visit. And did you notice what he said? He said, today I must come to your house. I must. This is a divine appointment. This is going to happen. Jesus came and he is seeking out Zacchaeus. He's got a plan and he's on a mission. Look at verse 7. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He is going to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. All of a sudden we see the religious again, don't we? It's always the religious. They're the cold water committee. They're the ones that say, I can't believe he's doing this. They're the ones who say, does Jesus not know who that guy is? Doesn't he know there's a system around here? Doesn't he know that's not the kind of man that you want to talk to? And so they begin to say and they begin to grumble. He's going to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. What does this guy think that he's doing? How can he do this? And Zacchaeus stood and he said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything... I restore it fourfold. Now, it's interesting because between verse 7 and 8, we don't see anything, right? We don't see where Jesus goes to his home and he says, Listen here, buddy, you are a sinner. You are wretched. You're pitiful. You have stolen from your people. You are a gross man. You must repent. Repent, repent, repent. We don't, we don't see that. It doesn't mean it didn't happen, but we don't see it. You know what we see? We see the evidence. It skips directly and it goes to the evidence. It shows that he has changed. You've got a man who was a professional thief. And now he's a, he, he's a giver. You've got a man who was all about taking. Now he wants to give. You've got a man who was defined by selfishness. His whole life was about being selfish. And now all of a sudden he's being unselfish. You know what it shows? Something dramatic has happened in the life of Zacchaeus. And so he says, today salvation has come to this house. It wasn't talk. I am so sick of talk, aren't you? It's just, it's so cheap. And we get together in our churches and we talk and we talk and we talk and then we leave and we don't do anything. We talk about the lost and how without Christ they're going to hell. And then we go out for an entire week and we don't tell a single person about Christ. We talk about how important it is that we are in the Word of God. And then we go out these doors and we go an entire week and we never open up his book. We talk this morning about how we're to, to love and be characterized by love, especially love for the saints. And then we go out these doors and we live the same way we've always lived. We, we skip the talk here with Zacchaeus. We don't see the talk. We go right to the action. Here's my question. Where's the action in your life? Where's your action? If you had to come up tonight and you had to list all the things that you did for the kingdom of God in the last week, how much would you have to say? Would we be here all night or would it be a quick evening? 
We can talk with the best of them. We can talk about our intentions and about how important God is to us. But there's so many times in my life that it's just talk. And I can talk with the best of them. But there's so many times there's no action behind it. And so he makes a confession. He says, you are my Lord. He says, half of my possessions I give to the poor. You know what that is? That is self-denial. That is a picture of self-denial. Jesus said, if any man comes to me, let him deny himself, take up his, his cross, and follow me. And so he is putting that into practice. He says, half of my possessions I give to the poor. You know what this is the opposite of? It's the opposite of the rich young ruler back in chapter 18 who, when he finds out that Jesus says, give away your wealth, says when the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great possessions. The rich young ruler said, I can't do it. My money's too important, so I'm leaving. Zacchaeus comes to know Christ, and then he says, I'll give it all away. It doesn't matter to me. I will give it all away. I will give it all up. Matthew 13, 44. The kingdom of heaven like a treasure hidden in a field. And when a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy he went, he sold all that he had, and he bought the field. It's saying you find Jesus, nothing else matters. You find Jesus and you will give everything else up because he is worth it. Is he worth it in your life? Is he worth it? Because of the encounter that you've had with Christ, is he worth it? Where's your commitment level? Are you committed just when it's easy? Or are you committed when it's tough? This was not easy for Zacchaeus. And then he said this, if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I'll give back four times as much. If I've cheated anyone, and he was a cheat, if I've cheated anyone, I'll give back four times the amount. Now, the, the formula was this. What he should have done, according to the scriptures, is he should have tacked on 20%. And so he should have said, I'll give it back, and I'll give it back plus 20%. You say, well, why did he give back four times the amount? If you look at Exodus chapter 22, Exodus chapter 22, you find that if you rob someone with violence and destruction, if you rob someone and your intent was so bad that it was just violent, that you were seeking destruction, in that case, you had to give four times the amount back. And so what Zacchaeus is saying is this. He's saying, man, I have messed up and I messed up badly. I have cheated, I have sinned, and I have sinned violently, and I have sinned destructively, and I don't want to just do the minimum, I want to do all that I can. You get that? I don't want to just do the minimum. We, we, churches are full of people who want to do the minimum. And we ask questions like this, do I have to come to church to be a Christian because I want to just do the minimum? Do I have to tithe to be a Christian because I want to just do the minimum? Do I have to be involved in any kind of, of, of life group or anything else, any type of ministry? Because if I don't have to, I don't want to because I just want to do the minimum. And when you look at Zacchaeus, he wasn't about doing the minimum. He wanted to do all that he could. And so he says, if I've cheated someone, I'm going to give it back. And I'm not going to just give it back. I'm going to give back four times as much. 
And so you can imagine, he begins to go, and he begins to knock on these doors. And they say, Zacchaeus is here. Don't answer the door. Don't go to the door. It's that, that crook of a man. It's that Zacchaeus. And he keeps on knocking, and he keeps on knocking. And finally, the dad goes to the door. Dads always have to do that. When the Jehovah's Witnesses come to the door, I always am the one that's got to go out. I don't know why. So dad goes to the door, Zacchaeus, we already paid our taxes. We're not paying anything else. And he says, listen, I know, but I cheated you, and I, I want to give you money back. Here, I cheated you, and I'm giving you four times the amount back. Can you imagine how speechless people were when that happened? Zacchaeus, you're giving me money back? I know the system. I know it's corrupt. You don't have to give it back. Zacchaeus, why are you giving my money back to me? Because I met this man. I met this man named Jesus, and he changed my life. Let me tell you about him. I used to live for money. I don't live for money anymore. I live for Jesus. And so you start out with Zacchaeus, and you see a man who is so rich, and he lives for money. And then he meets Jesus. And all of a sudden, the money doesn't matter anymore. Zacchaeus was transformed because of the encounter that he had with Jesus. Have you been transformed because of Jesus? It may be money. It may be success. It may be your family. It may be relationships. Do you have things in your life that are more important than Jesus? You say, well, well Case, maybe... Maybe this is just one of those, those freak things. Maybe it's an anomaly. Maybe it's just one of those that we look at and we say, man, Zacchaeus was, was awesome. He did, he did a great thing. You know, when I look at the scriptures, I'm just convinced that this should be the norm. It shouldn't just be like a, like a one-time thing. It shouldn't just be something that, that you read about that so-and-so did. It ought to be that when we come to Christ, everything changes for us. The reason that we live, it begins to change. The purpose of our life, it begins to change. The way that we treat people, it begins to change. Our priorities in life, they begin to change. Everything changes because Jesus is so powerful. And when we go through life and we say, I've met Jesus, but he hasn't changed my life, what we do is we make Jesus so very small. We make him so very small when we go around town and we say, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. And we hear people say, I'm a Christian, but there's no change in our life. And so my challenge through Zacchaeus is that we be changed because of the encounter that we've had. Let me ask you to close your eyes and we'll, we'll close up. It may be that you're here tonight, and you, you hear about Zacchaeus, and you say, you know what, I, I don't think that's ever happened in my life. I don't know that I've ever had true salvation. I know it's a Sunday night crowd, and I know we've been in church a lot of times, most of us, but it very well could be that there's someone in here who the Lord has spoken to you, has convicted you, and has shown you that you do not have true salvation. Now, we're not having an altar call tonight. But I want to tell you, if you'd come talk to me or with Charles or another leader here, we'd love to pray with you about that and explain that to you. No matter how long it takes, 
We'd love to be there for you on that. But maybe for most of us, we look at Zacchaeus and we know that we've had the encounter with Jesus. We know that we're saved. But we realize that there has not been near as much transformation as there should be. We realize how selfish we've been. We realize all the, the ways that we have chosen ourselves over the Lord. We realize how little we're doing for his kingdom. And tonight could be a wake-up call. Tonight could be the conviction of the Lord coming upon us and saying, it's time to get busy for the kingdom of God. And we can walk out of these doors and we can continue to do life the way we've always done life. Or we can let the word of God come into our heart and lead us to change. Lead us to live for him at a higher level. Lord, I, I thank you for this time. I thank you for the, the text of Zacchaeus, God, and his story and how it challenges us. God, how it ministers to us. How it shows us how we ought to live our life. And Lord, I pray as, as we gather as this body of believers tonight, I pray that you will be our number one, God. Nothing else will compare. We will love you through the good times. We will love you through the difficult times, God. We will serve you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. God, and we will truly live for you. And because of the encounter that we've had, God, people will be able to see the transformation that's taken place at our jobs and at our schools. And as we go through life, 